Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is November 1st. Hope we all had a happy Halloween. It is our NFL Monday pod here on, well, Monday, because it's NFL Monday. Week 8 is in the books. We had an interesting week drop. 13 NFL games go on. Some of them will be covered on Memes of the Weekend. Some of them will be covered here. Should be a fun podcast. And uh, let's hop right into it here today by talking about the Falcons and the Panthers. Not the Falcons and the Panthers, the actual football game, because the actual football game doesn't matter at all. Um, That would be maybe the nominee for forgettable game of the weekend until the Jaguars and Seahawks happen in the afternoon. And by the way, Jaguars and Seahawks. Do you know how hard it is to be a forgettable game of the weekend when you play in a block that only has four games going on and one of them is maybe the worst football game ever between Washington and Denver? Do you know how bad you have to be? Do you know how not memorable your 24-7 to or whatever it was because the Seahawks returned a kick at the very end of the game? Do you know how meaningless your game has to be if you become the forgettable game of the week in an afternoon block? Anyways, just like to put that out there and really just knock that Jaguars-Seahawks matchup out right off the bat because the Seahawks defense looked good because the Jaguars offense is bad and Daryl Bevel is going to get fired. I don't think you could fire him right now. I think the Cardinals gave Mike McCoy like five games before they fired him as OC and I think at this point you could fire Daryl Bevel and uh, get away with that eight games or seven games into the season. Uh, Yeah, now we don't have to talk about Jaguars-Seahawks the rest of the day. What I wanted to talk about from the Falcons and the Panthers game is not the 1913 game or whatever it was or Matt Ryan's bloody hand, although those were interesting. Uh, More interesting was what happened with Calvin Ridley. So going back to the very beginning, I'm sure most people know what happened in this story by now, but just going all the way back to the start. So Calvin Ridley is a scratch from the Falcons game for personal reasons. And we find out about an hour and a half later in the middle of the Falcons game that Calvin Ridley is stepping away to treat his mental health. And he is, here's the full statement from Calvin Ridley. These past few weeks have been very challenging. And as much as I'd like to be on the field competing with with my teammates, I need to step away from football at this time and focus on my mental well-being. This will help me be the best version of myself now and in the future. I want to thank my teammates, the entire Atlanta Falcons organization, our great fans, my friends, and my family for all of their support during this time. And I thought that this was the most pressing story of the weekend in the NFL. And there were some pretty interesting NFL games, and it's always fun to talk about that stuff. And we've had conversations like this when it relates to Naomi Osaka or when it relates to Simone Biles or what I like to call Gen Z being more open about mental health stigmas and not 
really trashing everyone about this. Obviously, there's going to be the the instigators around, but even still, like I was surprised that we didn't have that come up again. And Calvin Ridley's 26, so you technically get to be Gen Z. I know he was born in 1994 or almost 1995, but you get to be like adopted Gen Z for this case because he's kind of in that weird in between between millennial and Gen Z, and so. We haven't seen a story exactly like this in the toxic masculine landscape of the NFL. We've seen similar type things with Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan in the NBA speaking really openly and candidly about mental health struggles and anxiety. And in the case of Kevin Love, depression, when everyone was making those blame Kevin Love jokes all the time and he just couldn't cope with that and brain chemistry can be complex and difficult. And we've talked about it in individual sports And we've talked about it with women quite a bit, especially with Simone Biles at the Olympics. That became a story for about three days or so where everyone had something to say about the Simone Biles situation, even if there wasn't anything that really needed to be said. Or when Naomi Osaka had her situation where she felt uncomfortable speaking to the media, but also wanted to continue performing. And people said, you can't have it both ways. And so that became a controversy that stepped her out of the sport for, I think, two majors, if I remember correctly. I think she skipped the rest of Wimbledon and the U.S. Open when all of that was going on. And so we've had this conversation, especially when it relates to women and when it relates to individual sports and when it relates to Gen Z. This is an interesting confluence of events that is happening in that sport specifically, in the NFL, the sport that is more conservative than the NBA, very much more misogynistic and anti, historically anti-women, especially in inclusion around that sport, and the sport that is one of those team-oriented things where you talk about the team above all and people are looking for leadership from team and camaraderie and things like that, the one that like we most reflect to war. Being in that gladiator sport, having a story like Calvin Ridley's where he's stepping away from the sport, even if we don't have specifics about whether Calvin Ridley has some sort of mental disorder or if Calvin Ridley has like ADHD or some situation like that that we don't know about. But we can presume something of that sort might be at play if Calvin Ridley needs to step away and prioritize his mental health. That's entirely a possibility that we just are unaware of. So I'm not going to pretend like we know exactly what is happening within that context. What's interesting is just that you have a case like this that happens in that sport that's also battling a reckoning with all of this stuff that they've had in their past, like being misogynistic and homophobic and racist. All of that is coming together in what we talk about with the email situation between, uh, obviously, John Gruden going down, but the 650,000 emails from the Washington football team report that no one is going to see because Roger Goodell is going to die on the hill of nobody will see the products of this report, which means there's something in that report that Roger Goodell is willing to die upon to make sure that none of us see it as the NFL has this reckoning with people in power abusing that power and histories of racism, misogyny, homophobia, uh, anti-religion in that sport, not just in the front offices of the sport, but also in the locker rooms. You know, the, the NBA and NFL locker rooms and probably baseball too, we just don't get the same kind of access to that, but those locker rooms have historically been extremely anti-things that are different. It's the idea that if you are a distraction because you are different, then you are not 
and you are not a man enough or you are not a player enough of a certain case. And so in this changing landscape in the sport, it's super interesting to see a Calvin Ridley situation. Similarly, in the other context to Carl Nazib being the first openly gay player in the NFL, which again, different context, but I can't think of a case in my lifetime that is similar to what Calvin Ridley has, where Calvin Ridley is a player of no, of, of a certain prominence stepping away from football in a public fashion where he's stepping away from games for personal matters. And then we find out, oh, he's going to be taking an extended period of time, which means there is a real mental health struggle going on and a real battle uh, for Calvin Ridley, who is just a name that we know in the sport. That is a first from my recollection. I could be wrong about this, but it's the first time I've seen something exactly like this, similarly to the Carl Nazib situation, where there have been lots of gay players in the NFL. Players have come out after they've left the NFL. Michael Sam came out before he came into the NFL. That situation specifically was reacted to very well, and Calvin Ridley is the same situation. And without going into you know specifics, because we just don't know enough about Calvin Ridley, don't know enough about his situation, and don't know enough about the specifics of why it is Calvin Ridley is stepping away. It's been awesome to see that there is not that same reaction where now all of a sudden we have to turn to Calvin Ridley as a spokesperson for mental health advocates everywhere. And maybe Calvin Ridley just isn't that same star the same way we're putting that burden on Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles, where now you don't just have to be excellent at your sport. You also don't have to, you, you also can't just be a role model and you also have to succeed at the highest levels. Now you also have to be carrying a cause, uh, not just a cause for women in their case, but also now a cause for mental health. We haven't done that specifically to Calvin Ridley, and it doesn't look like we're going to. It looks like we're going to respect Calvin Ridley, wish him the best, and not try and tell Calvin Ridley what is best for his situation. And that seems like a basic human interaction type of thing. Like we wouldn't tell someone exactly how they should react to something. And yet, even still, we come from a sports landscape where that's not the case at all. Like we really, really like to micromanage people and micromanage millionaires because we feel like we have a certain access to those people because we see them playing in whatever game it is, and we root for them, and we feel emotional connections to them, even if those emotional connections typically only work one way. Like, Calvin Ridley can cite, you know, the support from his fans, or for the Atlanta Fa- at the, the Atlanta Falcons fans, but he's saying that on a grandiose scale. He can't, he can't have a personal relationship with fans the same way fans feel they have a personal relationship to Calvin Ridley, And therefore, there's a sense of entitlement from the fan that doesn't exist in other arenas, whether that's in music or whether that's in movies or whether that's in business. All of those things don't have the same level of entitlement as sports do. And so the micromanaging of Calvin Ridley feels like it's not going to be there. And that's a really promising situation because on a basic level, if Calvin Ridley is battling some sort of mental health issue then that's none of our business to attach. We should be supportive of Calvin Ridley in whatever way we can. And the best way to do that now, don't ask Calvin Ridley questions about why he's not playing. Don't prod Calvin Ridley for why it is that he's not playing. Just be an ally 
to people going through mental health situations the same way that the mentally healthy should be an ally to those going through mental health battles, the same way that white people should be allies to black people, the same way that people who are straight should be allies to people fighting for LGBTQIA plus causes, the same way that men should be allies for women because it is super important that the majority, in this case, I assume most people I'm talking to are battling, are, are mentally healthy or at least more likely a man or more likely also white because that's just the that's just the people who I happen to be talking to here for the majority based on analytics that I see it's overwhelmingly white like 92% men so I can relate it to that context as well if you're battling some sort of mental struggle yourself or maybe you have a mental disorder or something along the lines of what Calvin Ridley may be battling or what you probably know someone who is battling being an ally when you're in a position of health or when you're in a position of being in the majority is super important here and that's a base level thing that I try to apply at least um, in the past couple years of my life as I've grown more and gained greater perspective I've tried to be allies in that way I haven't been perfect but I've tried to do my best in this situation and so we can be allies to Calvin Ridley by respecting what Calvin Ridley wants at this point, which is stepping away from football, and he wants to find the best version of himself, and so we're going to respect that. Maybe you're disappointed because of your fantasy football team. At the same point, that plays into entitlement as well, and that support system is what's going to be important just from a societal level so that we can expect better from ourselves as a whole. And honestly, that's just the best take I can give around this because it's super fascinating and we don't know specifics of what happened with Calvin Ridley. Maybe reporting will reveal it. Maybe Calvin Ridley will have the strength and power to tell us about his mental health struggle publicly so that we can all learn and grow from it potentially. Maybe we'll get to that point, but it's not on Calvin Ridley to do so if one day he doesn't come to that conclusion. And if not, that's okay as well. I understand the difficulty in that, and I understand the the power and bravery in coming forward and talking about these things and having the power in the case of Calvin Ridley to become a conversation point because I can't remember anything like this specifically in that gladiator sport where it's modern day gladiators and instead of people dying in the arena, they're dying outside 30 years later. Well, occasionally people die in the arena, but they die 30 years later from brain trauma and science that we don't understand. It's the modern version of gladiators in football and that sport that has, as we talked about before, historically been anti-LGBTQIA+, misogynistic, uh, racist, um, anti-religion, and anti-mental health, especially among coaches, players, and that locker room aspect as a whole, which then we can also extend to people in positions of power at the top, which are also exclusively men, overwhelmingly white men, overwhelmingly straight white men, overwhelmingly Christian straight white men of some sort of better mental health state that will extend on down as well as corporate culture is created within the NFL in that sport specifically it's really interesting that Calvin Ridley has this happen in the middle of a football Sunday and then becomes important to be a talking point because that is one of those things that's more important than talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints or a shitty 19 to 13 Carolina Panthers Atlanta Falcons game and I say that now as a way to make an awkward transition into playing our Sam Darnold Industry Baby song by Lil Nas X and Jack Harlow remake 
because for the first time in, well, I guess since September, so in like five weeks, the Carolina Panthers did win a game. So that means we've got to play our transition song because it's an NFL Monday. So that's the, the best way I can to make an awkward transition into the rest of the podcast. That's going to be much more lighthearted than Calvin Ridley conversation and dumb, but also we're pretty dumb. My pocket's sitting so clean, they couldn't wait to come sack me. NYC was too flashy, y'all shouldn't have let gays draft me. Too late now, I went MIA, now I'm seeing ghosts and they scary. Sent Wilson back to NYC with that L and two intercepties. New York talking, we taking notes. Throwing DJ Moore on them posts. Falcons could, but we know they chose. Said his time was soon, but just like Oklahoma. Mine is coming sooner. I'm just a late bloomer. I done peek at Essie cause I got me your revenge tour Hate these networks and computers Got mean pages walking around like they some losers I told you long ago on the road I got what Jets fans waiting for I'm seeing ghosts now Steal your souls just like Belichick Oh, y'all were never really rooting for me anyways Panthers apologies, you know I wanna hear you say He's seeing ghosts now Steal your souls Tell them the revenge tour on Yeah Sam Darnold revenge tour 2021 Alright Tampa Let's talk Because uh, You lost to the Saints Tom Brady threw three interceptions Seems like regular season Saints are the kryptonite at this point because Tom Brady's lost seven games since joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This includes those uh, four wins they had in the playoffs. He is 21-7 and as the Buccaneers starter, and three of those seven losses have come against the New Orleans Saints. There is uh, almost no better feeling than that Tom Brady interception right at the end and having the Saints defense on your fantasy team. Because all they just had to do was go down and instead they ran it back for a touchdown because the Buccaneers basically just gave up trying to stop them once they threw the pick because all they had to do was just kneel the clock out if they went to the ground. But you get the extra points anyways. Felt really good. Um, Tom Brady finished the game still with 112 passer rating, which is still really good. Um, the Bucks were just making up receivers, I felt like, late in the game. Like, I, I made this joke over on um, on the Instagram. Like, who is Cyril Grayson? Seriously, who is Cyril Grayson? And why is he catching touchdown passes for the Saint, or for the Bucks, where the Saints defense like has 15 yards of separation into the secondary between them and Cyril Guyton. Like it just felt like they were making up dudes. I thought the Bucks were the team that just had tons of wide receivers, but all of a sudden Scotty Miller goes on IR and you lose Antonio Brown for this game and Rob Gronkowski has to leave at halftime and all of a sudden you're starting to understand why Tom Brady was doing a radio show on Sirius XM with Larry Fitzgerald for the past 10 weeks because it feels like he wants Larry to come play with him if Larry so decides that he wants to. And uh, the, the Tampa Bay is just making up dudes that Tom Brady can throw touchdown passes to. Um, I don't know whether the Saints are good or not. Like, I feel like they're going to be the seven seed in the NFC, but now they don't have Jameis Winston. By the way, this 
we'll talk about that on memes of the weekend. But Jameis, Jameis Winston, just wonderful, just wonderful. Um, after you know, he's wearing what I believe Bomani Jones called the uh, out for season three thousand knee brace, um, and has these two crutches on. He's dancing in the locker room afterwards, and yeah, they lose Jameis Winston, and they've already lost Taysom Hill for an extended period of time, and. I think Sean Payton was upset that he had that one opportunity, that one magical opportunity for Taysom Hill to take over. It was going to be Taysom's team all the way through. Jameis is probably done for the season. That injury looked kind of bad and had to get carted off the field, and he had the long crutches and the big knee brace, so it's probably done for Jameis. And the Saints season feels done, but also is Trevor Semyon that much of a downgrade versus Jameis Winston? And is Taysom Hill that much of a downgrade versus Jameis Winston? Because I was watching Trevor Semyon play, and Trevor Semyon, I don't think that's going to be a consistent thing for him, but Jameis Winston's best game this year was probably not that different from what Trevor Semyon put up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Trevor Semyon finished the game. Uh, basically doing the same as Jameis, 16 for 29, which is about the same completion percentage as 6 for 10 for Jameis, 9.9 yards per completion, one touchdown, he had an 82 passer rating, but anyways, Jameis Winston's best game this season, probably not that far off, let's see, Jameis had the 108 against Washington, where he only completed 50% of his passes, but he just limited the turnovers, Uh, The Giants game lost, but had a 119 passer rating. Uh, Packers game, 130. So his worst games, you've got the uh, 83.3 and the 26. I guess Jameis had been better this year. Jameis had 100 QBR, but they can still survive, right? (laughs) That's kind of where they're at, aren't they? They can still technically survive this. It's just weird that Jameis Winston finds himself in a position where he doesn't have to... Jameis Winston doesn't have to be all-time great. He just has to manage his way through it, and now Trevor Simeon's going to do that. And, yeah, the Saints did all right, and they're just waiting for Taysom Hill to come in here. But uh, I can't. T- I think the Saints are going to be the seven seed. That just feels inevitable right now because we know the Cowboys, well, uh, with a healthy Dak Prescott, the Cowboys are better. And we know that uh, the Cardinals and Rams are both going to make the playoffs, but the Seahawks and 49ers are not going to make the playoffs. And then you've got the Packers and you've got the the Buccaneers. So that's what that leaves you with five. Maybe the Vikings get in there somewhere. That's kind of where it feels like we're at with the Saints right now is that they're going to be either the six or seven seed and lose, but they might have to do it with Trevor Simeon. And I'm going to do the sports radio thing here. You know, the cliche gas bag thing and petition for the Saints to sign Cam Newton think that that's the team that absolutely should make that move right now even if he's not going to play for a few weeks because if Jameis is done for the season and the trade deadline's on Tuesday I don't know exactly what you can get but Cam Newton's sitting there for free and if the the Jets are going to give up a sixth rounder for Joe Flacco to never play for them and maybe Nick Foles is available like I I don't think that you should give up anything. Just sign Cam Newton. You're going to be fine. Cam Newton can run the football and you can you can go to the wishbone with Alvin Kamara who actually still had a pretty good game. 19 carries, 61 yards doesn't look very good, but the Bucks are really good rush defense. He still had that touchdown on fourth down that was awesome and yeah, not great when you're going up against that rushing defense, but even still Maybe that's part of it, actually. Maybe Trevor Simeon's 
82 is the peak because he was going up against maybe the worst passing defense in the NFL in the Bucks. But yeah, sign Cam Newton can't be that much worse than Trevor Semi, and it's the same argument for Taysom Hills. Like, how different is Taysom than Jameis? Might be a bit, but if you take Jameis off the table, a lot of your options kind of look fairly similar, whether it's Semyon or Taysom Hill or Cam Newton. So I'm just going to petition you to sign Cam Newton. You can get him for a minimum contract. Might take him a couple weeks, but yeah. That's going to be my sports radio argument to cap off coverage of a Saints game that I don't really understand. But it wasn't one of those games like the Packers and Cardinals where I don't understand it, but I know enough to recognize that the game shouldn't matter at all, like in terms of evaluating the Packers or Cardinals, like we learned nothing new from that game. I feel like we learned something about New Orleans. I feel like we've seen this version of Tom Brady a few times now. It's not like we ever learn new things about Tom Brady. We've just seen him not play well at times. That's fine. He still did pretty well for not playing well. It's going to go down as a 112 passer rating, even though that probably isn't totally fair to Tom Brady because I don't think even he thought he played that well. But 71% completion percentage with no Antonio Brown or Gronk is kind of where we thought the Bucks were last year when the Bucks were like the fifth seed in the NFC, which is like, yeah, if the Bucks are the fifth seed and the Saints are the third seed or the Saints are the sixth seed or the seventh seed then yeah it's a game you can theoretically lose maybe the point spread was a little large who knows but good on New Orleans now sign Cam Newton since we're talking about uh Tom Brady here let's let's pivot to New England real quick because I made the joke on the internet that uh the Patriots are now four and four but they should be six and two because if Nick Folk's field goal doesn't go wide or you have uh not fumble by Damian Harris back in week one against the probably should be winless Miami Dolphins, then you have a, a Patriots team that's 6-2, and two, same record as the first place Tennessee Titans, um, with a roster that probably should be 2-6. and six. And we talked about this with Walter Mitchell, that the Patriots offense on paper is probably somewhere in the bottom third of the league like that's if you had to rank the offenses on paper it probably and the you get to the Patriots their number probably starts with a two not sure exactly where but it probably starts with a two and coming into this game they were ranked 15th in offensive DVOA so they've been overperforming this season given the talent that they have uh, it's not like they're magically a top defense like the Cowboys, even though the Cowboys don't have really any talent on defense. They're just generating a lot of turnovers and overcompensating. This Patriots team is overachieving by being a middle-of-the-road offense while not having a very talented offense at all. And defense compensates a little bit for that, but their defense is also kind of middle-of-the-road. All of this to say... Patriots beat the Chargers this week, did it in pretty resounding fashion. They gave the ball to Damian Harris 23 times, which I was kind of surprised by. Like, that was an interesting game plan. I know the Chargers aren't great at stopping the run, but I was still a little bit surprised that they went that aggressively on the we are going to stop the Chargers all means possible and get, or I'm sorry, we are going to go right at the Chargers, dominate time of possession in the classic bill belichick type of way and so uh that's kind of what they went for and then they win the game on a pick six and 
I guess Bill Belichick just has Justin Herbert's number at this point because Justin Herbert had a 56 quarterback rating, two touchdowns, the pick six, a second interception, completed 52% of his passes for 223 yards. Literally just the, the, the Patriots always do this weird thing where they say, we are going to take away your best option. We are going to make a concerted effort to take away your best option. And they said today that best option is Mike Williams. And we are going to double-team Mike Williams whenever you try and go deep. Safety's going to be hawking on him all the way. Yes, you're going to throw the ball 11 times to Keenan and 10 times to Austin Eckler. That's fine. If we take away the big play, Herbert's going to have to start checking down. Herbert's going to have to start playing game manager. And we think we can get enough pressure to keep Herbert under distress all game. And lo and behold, that is exactly what they did. It was a Belichickian game plan work to a T. It's kind of similar to what he did last time when they beat him like 45-0 last year. But I kind of forgot about that game. Then went back to revisit that game and found out how they got to 45-0 was by denying Keenan Allen and denying Austin Eckler, but also just the Chargers playing like shit on offense. This time the Chargers did not play as shit on offense, but they didn't play well. You can only go up from 45-0, so the Chargers did get better, but the Chargers are still not the best team. And I said this all the way through, like the Chargers were 4-1. and one. I, I made the joke on the internet towards Charger fans, antagonizing them. Like, remember when everyone said the Chargers were going to win the AFC West and Justin Herbert was going to be an MVP candidate, which is kind of, again, there's truth in it, which is the truth that you should not judge small sample sizes without having larger representation especially with the Chargers team that didn't play other than the Chiefs a ton of difficult opponents to start the season. And so you're looking at the Chargers and two rough games in a row and a bye week now makes the Chargers look less desirable. But remember where the Chargers were at the start of the season. If the Chargers were going to make the playoffs this year, that would be a significant improvement for the Chargers. It was only when we got the short-term expectations that we started assuming the Chargers would make the playoffs. And I thought the whole way through, like, the Chargers are, like, the fifth best team in the AFC, but part of that is because the Browns have a bunch of injuries and the Steelers aren't as good as we thought they were. Like, the Chargers were a team that if they make the playoffs, that is a victory. If they win a playoff game this year, that is a massive victory. And so losing to the Patriots is going to happen when you're in this above-average group and the Patriots feel like they're kind of an average tier we saw so many crazy games today that like it proves football can have like bad teams beating like above average teams so average teams playing above average teams because it feels like the Patriots are average and it feels like the Chargers are above average you're gonna have wins like that happen all the time it's why Vegas predicted it today and the house always wins so congratulations if you did have the Patriots today like our buddy uh, DSD had his Patriots won and like I had in the pick'em pool, except I also had the Rams. That one really sucked, um, which we'll get to that on Memes of the Weekend a little bit later. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are 
How about the Jets? How about the New York Jets? I feel like we did this podcast a few weeks ago, didn't we? Oh my gosh, I can't believe the Jets turned it around and now they've won a crazy game. No one expected them to win and now it's happened twice this year, which I guess is cool for the Jets because I don't know if they like intended to have a top five pick this year, but I think at a certain point fans just kind of became resigned to the fact that this was going to be a longer rebuild and they couldn't accurately evaluate Zach Wilson by the way since we've already done some of the gas bag sports radio stuff Zach Wilson injury blessing in disguise for the Jets that way they don't have to keep putting Zach Wilson out there every time they play a terrible defense anyway or I'm sorry play terrible defense and have a terrible offense they actively have a terrible offense anyways so The Jets end up winning this game against the Bengals. Bengals, similar boat to the Chargers. Y'all were the ones who set the expectations too high for the Bengals. The Bengals are probably an above-average team, maybe average, somewhere in that ballpark where they're also going to be fighting for a playoff spot down the stretch, and you can lose those games. Last year, the Jets' only win, or one of their two wins, was against the Rams, And the Rams were a slightly above-average team last year. So these games can happen. And the Bengals, and I mean, I was one week off because I had the Patriots last week, which was disappointing because the Jets lost by 40, gave up 53 points, and lost Zach Wilson. So I just stayed away from the game this week. And then the Jets did exactly what I thought they were going to do because the Jets aren't actually that bad. I know we make jokes about the Jets all the time, but the Jets aren't actually that bad. It's the same thing as the Jaguars. Jaguars really suck, but they suck in the way where you can see something good is on the horizon. Maybe that good is just uh, Trevor Lawrence because they have really botched a lot of their draft picks. Uh, There was a really sad moment during the Jaguars-Seahawks game where the broadcaster actively said Trevor Lawrence's best weapons this year have been Marvin Jones and Dan Arnold. It made me impossibly sad for for Trevor Lawrence. I know we said at the start we wouldn't talk about the Jaguars-Seahawks game anymore, but I thought that was also funny. The Jets are kind of in the same boat. They've got fine players. Corey Davis is a fine wide receiver, an overpaid wide receiver, yes, but he still makes your team better than not having Corey Davis. Elijah Vera Tucker is going to make your team better on the offensive line. Is it enough to potentially save Zach Wilson from injury? Not all the time. But you know what? Mike White can go for 400 yards because he has three and a half seconds of protection. That's going to happen sometimes. The Jets aren't actually that bad. By the way, can we talk about how the Jets are cocky enough to go for two in a 32-31 game against the Bengals and call the Philly special for Mike White diving into the end zone? Just peak arrogance. I love it. I love it. Peak arrogance of being cocky enough to call the Philly special on the Jets part and then get a pick to close out the game. Ah, chef's kiss. Beautiful. Well done, New York Jets. Congratulations on your second win of the season. It's going to be a rough week when we talk to Blake Jude because he got the Bengals loss. Kentucky got smacked by Mississippi State. Like, it was fun while it lasted for Kentucky teams. Well, Kentucky and South Ohio being good. And, uh, yeah, now that has officially 
been slammed shut. Uh, Speaking of Ohio, let's talk about the Cleveland Browns because the Cleveland Browns had a weird day. They probably still coulda, shoulda, woulda won this game, but it seems like this is a thing with the Steelers now, who, similarly to the Patriots, are 4-4 and and kind of feel like super average. Um, They're going to have moments where they win, and we're going to be like, wow, that was kind of a surprising win because they scored you know, just enough for a terrible offense and a good defense, similar to what Washington was last year, where Washington's going to win some of these games because the defense plays so well, but the offense does just enough. Um, they did it against – Pittsburgh did it against Buffalo early on in the season. They've done it against Cleveland now. Uh, I, actually, let's look up the Steelers' record right now because I feel like all their wins have been kind of in this fashion. So, okay, they put up 27 against the Broncos. That was fair. That was a pretty good offensive performance. And then the week before that, they had the Seahawks game. That's right. They did score in the 20s in that game, and they just happened to go to overtime and win the game in overtime. So in, in regulation, they only scored 20 points in their win. The Bills game, they only scored 23 points. This one, they scored 15, and they had 27 against the Broncos, which was their best offensive performance of the season. Because in their losses, similar numbers. 17 against the Raiders. 17 against the Packers. 10 against the Bengals. Like, they they put up the similar type of numbers regardless of who they're playing. Like, they get one extra touchdown and it's good enough to win because their defense hasn't allowed a game where someone scored over 30 points, but they also haven't scored over 30 points this year, which is an amazing stat that I did not realize was possible in the modern NFL. We're going to talk about that Washington-Denver game on Memes of the Weekend, but... Like, modern NFL is, like, being put on pause by Taylor Heineke and Teddy Bridgewater just being terrible at football. That's where we're going to put the pause on modern NFL evolution. It's with the Pittsburgh Steelers trotting out old-ass Big Ben and Najee Harris, who is young but also is not allowed to be good because the Steelers lead the league in penalties this season and have an offensive line that cannot block anyone, hence the fact Najee Harris averages like 1.9 yards before first contact. And he just has to be a yards-after-catch monster, and they don't have Juju Smith-Schuster. Chase Claypool's been a massive disappointment, even though he's one of these gigantic wide receivers we spent two months talking about last year with DK Metcalf and Kyle Pitts in the draft and the evolution of the position and... Yeah, it hasn't been great this year, but that's just because the Pittsburgh Steelers' offense is terrible. The Steelers went for that fourth down because Boswell got destroyed on the fake punt. And on the, the I'm sorry, the two-point conversion where they got a penalty. This was the most Steelers sequence of the entire season. So their kicker has just gotten knocked out of the game because they ran a fake punt and the or fake field goal and the kicker got rocked Chris Boswell so now they have to go for two every time even though they've only scored two touchdowns in the entire game they go for two they fail it's 10-9 they score again it's 15 to 10 they go for two they get a penalty for a hold on a two-point conversion so now it's first and goal or I'm sorry two-point conversion from the 12-yard line but they're not going to kick the field goal because now their kicker would have to, or their punter, who's never punted or who's never kicked field goals in his entire college career. This has been a rough sequence to try and get to a joke. Anyways, up from the 12-yard line, two-point conversion, they check down. 
they checked down on, <laughs> they checked down on a two point conversion because Big Ben's petrified. He doesn't have any blocking. He doesn't have any mobility. He just checks down on everything. The occasional time he gets protection, he can hit Deontay Johnson for an eight yard pass. It's so bad for the Steelers offense like reminds me of Washington last year being as bad with Alex Smith where I'm like this is despicable how terrible this offense is and yet even still the Pittsburgh Steelers have a really good defense and that's going to be just enough to get them to 7 and 10 on the season All right, let's wrap up the NFL coverage for this week. Just roundtable some things that were interesting. Um, Kirk Cousins will always live in Kirk Cousins' purgatory. I think this is kind of just conclusive now that he is the new Philip Rivers. I think we should petition on the memes of the weekend to change the title of the Memorial Philip Rivers Purgatory Award to the Kirk Cousins Philip Rivers Memorial Purgatory Award because... Even Kirk Cousins against Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys will find a way to end up in purgatory. And that's really all the analysis I can give you on that one. The game was 20-16. to 16. I can see that. I can read box scores for you. But got to be honest, I was watching the Astros kick ass in the World Series instead of watching the... Uh, instead of watching the... Cowboys and Vikings game uh by the way shout out to Carlos Correa shout out to Alex Bregman the Astros offense is back baby all they needed was to switch one part of the order and the Astros are back so all that concern we talked about on Wired Up which if you want all the baseball analysis that still works even after the Astros kicked ass in game five you can check that out on the episode before this one but not the one above this one, because that's Memes of the Weekend, which you should also check out, because we get some good laughs in there. By the way, and this is a teaser, Kirk Cousins, despite the fact that the Vikings were down four, 51 seconds, length of the field, no timeouts, does not win Philip Rivers' purgatory this week. There's actually one that was even crazier that you will find out about later on. Because it's one of those rare moments that we haven't seen. We haven't seen it in a very... I don't know if we've seen it in the eight weeks that we've been doing this or even Philip Rivers' purgatory days. I don't know if we've ever seen what happened this week to get into Philip Rivers' purgatory. So we'll get to that later on as well. Um, do you want me to read box score stats from the Cowboys-Vikings game? Like, sure, okay. Uh, Kirk Cousins, what did he do? 23 for 35, 140, 84 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, finished with an 88.3. I think we like to call this the Jared Goff special, uh, finishing 23 for 35, so that's roughly 67% completion percentage. 184 yards, so he averaged 8 yards of completion, and one touchdown, no interceptions. The no interceptions part probably goes against the Jared Goff side, but I like to call this one the Jared Goff special from Kirk Cousins tonight. Uh, Justin Jefferson did nothing, which is sucks for my fantasy team, because now I need like 20 points from Patrick Mahomes on Monday. Uh, Cooper Rush, 92 quarterback rating, so everyone played average. Did anyone run the ball well? Well, Zeke had 16 for 50. Longest carry was 8, so no. Um, Dalvin Cook, 18 for 78. Longest carry was 19. Okay, Dalvin Cook played okay then. 
wasn't an awful game for Dalvin Cook. Wasn't any part of the passing attack that's interesting. Dalvin Cook had no catches in this game. But I guess if Justin Jefferson's not going to have any catches, then maybe Dalvin Cook won't have any catches as well. So interesting. Uh, I am learning about this game as we speak. I've spent too much time on it already. Uh, Buffalo. That was interesting, wasn't it? Miami was 3-3 to against Buffalo in the second quarter, but it felt like the game was interesting. It was just that like people were going for it on fourth down and failing a bunch. Um, do we know what to do with Tua at this point? Do we know how to accurately evaluate this dude? Because this was going to be a Josh Allen topic that I was going to talk about, and Josh Allen had an interesting first half where he played poorly and then had a Josh Allen second half, and I think that's just going to happen sometimes with Josh Allen because the Viking, I mean, the, the Dolphins' defense, although they were one of these teams that was built a lot on turnovers last year, they were still pretty good. And so credit to them for being an, a pretty good defense with some names that we recognize. They're just, you know, an abjectly terrible team in general. They're not as good a defense as they were last year, and even last year they were ranked like 10th in the league in team defense. So Miami will have moments like that where they slow down a a defense or an offense like a Josh Allen type. Um, They just couldn't get the offense to capitalize on that because I don't think there's any part of the offense that is really respectable for the Dolphins at this point. Tua had a bad day today, and the the, uh, the running game was totally one-dimensional with Gaskin because the next running back was Ahmed, who was the exact person that the Dolphins were trying to justify saying, well, Tua doesn't have enough weapons, so we need to improve from Ahmed, but this time it was Gaskin as the one who is not anyone that anyone really loves, anyone that anyone that anyone would want as their star running back, anyone. Um, but yeah, Gaskin finished with 36 yards, not great. Devontae Parker's getting traded as a wide receiver to Waddle averaged seven yards of completion, which is ridiculous because Jalen Waddle's like a deep threat guy and they've turned him basically into Jarvis Landry again with his Jarvis Landry breaking the, the the joke about Jarvis Landry was that when he was first on the Dolphins, which I kind of forget now that he was on the Dolphins for that long, but Jarvis Landry broke the receptions record in the first four years of a career but the joke was that he averaged like six yards a catch so he was nowhere near the record in yards but he just had tons of catches from like Jay Cutler and Tannehill checking down that feels kind of like the situation Tua and Waddle are in where you know Burrow and Chase are awesome or Jalen Hurts and Devonta Smith are awesome and then the Dolphins just happen to get the injured version of this group that Tua's hip injury probably makes him less athletic now there was one play where he was scrambling for the goal line and it looked kind of rough where he gets tackled at the one because you watch other people do it and it just looks way more athletic than Tua kind of like stumbling towards the goal line a bit and people being able to collapse on him and obviously Buffalo has a good defense so that plays part of it but even still the the Miami Dolphins have not had a great run so far and so uh, Tua had a bad game against the Bills and everything feels like it's imploding for the Dolphins at this point and we don't know what to do with the evaluation process um, for Miami at this point except that they just have a long losing streak and I really 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 want to play the Miami Dolphins song just like I really want to play the Detroit Lions song but we can't it's been so long I want to play the T-Pain remix of the Dolphins fight song, and we just can't. Um, finally, the last game we have on here, which is not the worst game 
but it's just the game that we delayed all the way till the back end. Chicago Bears may have three wins, but that team is awful. And without Matt Nagy, they got better on offense. So good for them. And good for Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo went back home to Chicago today, which you don't think of Chicago or the Midwest as like a factory. Uh, You usually think of like Ohio and Michigan having big football factories, but you don't really think of Chicago as a football factory. But Jimmy Garoppolo goes back home to Chicago, wins a game with two rushing touchdowns himself. Pretty good day for Jimmy G, 33 points for the... 49ers Debo Samuel is awesome can we talk we haven't talked enough about him on any of our podcasts this year so let me show some love for Debo Samuel that man has been excellent this year uh Garoppolo did basically the Jameis Winston thing today where he has no touchdowns no picks kind of middle of the road couple big plays here and there Elijah Mitchell had 100 yards and I think that makes him the eighth running back in the last three years for the San Francisco 49ers with a 100 yard rushing day believe that is correct this is now eight different guys if you go back to let's see if I can get them off the top of my head here so you've got Tevin Coleman uh Jeff Wilson Mostert Jerick McKinnon uh there was one more on those early teams with Tevin Coleman I'm forgetting who it is now uh Matt Breida that's who it was that's five um so Breida McKinnon Tevin Coleman Jeff Wilson Raheem Mostert um who was the person earlier this year? Not Trey Sermon. I don't think Trey Sermon's gotten it yet. Who was the running back before this? Uh, well, we know Mitchell, of course. Who was the running back before all those injuries happened? Who was the start? Who, before Mostert, in between Mostert and Sermon, I think that person also got it. But anyways, so Chicago, the, I, I got six at least different running backs for San Francisco who have had 100-yard rushing games over the last three years. Um, so yeah, good for the 49ers against the Chicago bears today. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping into the NFL Monday podcast here on take it easy. Uh, we got what 10 games that we covered here. Even if we just laughed at the Jaguars and the Seahawks a bit, and if you want more coverage of some of the games that we talked about here and others as well, go over to the memes of the weekend podcast, because we've got more content to laugh at coming at you on a Monday. This is the way we do NFL Mondays around here is by me torturing myself with double podcasts coming out Sunday night that you can listen to on Monday morning. So this is a great way for me to spend my Halloween is by going crazy for people who are listening right now. This is to, to take you behind the scenes to how the sausage is made. This, I've already finished memes of the weekend. This was the last touches after Sunday night football finished so we could talk a little bit about Cowboys Vikings even if the game wasn't exciting at all and I didn't watch a second of it because I watched the World Series instead while also recording these podcasts. Who could think of a better Halloween than that? So my Halloween night was spent doing all these podcasts. This is the very end. It drains out of me doing the double podcasts and I love it so damn much that we keep coming back next week. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, Take it easy. We will talk to you again tomorrow. If you want the baseball coverage, we have game five. I guess the Astros whooped up against the Braves. So we have that in the books right now, as we talked a little bit about earlier. I promise you we'll talk about it on Tuesday for sure. Take it easy, everybody. I'm going to get some sleep now.